Hey everybody! Welcome to Nonstop Chit Chai with your hosts Navi and Novera, where we literally chat nonstop about brown people things like marriage, aunties, fair and lovely, and basically everything a third culture kid experiences in today's world. Nonstop Chit Chai. Let's chat. Today's episode is The Brown and the Beautiful. We talk about warped beauty standards in the South Asian community fair versus dark. Healthy versus slim, hairy versus hairless. Why are these standards so prevalent? How do they affect us? And how can we live without being defined by such beauty standards? Our guests today are Masarat Mizba, beautician and philanthropist in Pakistan, and Onkar Dinsa, an Indian American model and influencer in New York. Let's chat. We are all born so beautiful. The greatest tragedy is being convinced we are not. Who said that quote? Um, it was Rupi Kaur. <laughs> it was Rupi Kaur, and it's from her book Milk and Honey. And I feel like it's so applicable to what we're talking about today, which is beauty standards in the South Asian community, and more specifically, these warped beauty standards that you and I don't agree with, and we should try to break free from.、Mm-hmm. And beauty is a combination of all these qualities. So we've got shape, color, your form, texture, proportions. All these things that please the aesthetic senses, particularly the sense of sight. But I think the keywords here are combination and aesthetic senses, because it's our whole self that makes us beautiful. I think we look at ourselves in the mirror every day and probably want to change so much about ourselves. Our social standards of beauty have created these ideals of what we think we should look like, and it's especially pronounced in South Asian communities where beauty standards can even be discriminatory, meaning we're treated differently based on how we look. So, Novera, was there a time that you were treated differently, or that you wished that you looked like somebody else? Oh my gosh, all the time. Let's just say that as South Asians, we tend to be on the hairier side of things. So I had this sweet unibrow when I was growing up. It was thick, full, plush. It was beautiful. It was like a jungle. It was great. <laughs>、um, and I had、right. TMI. <laughs> and there was a complimentary mustache that went with that unibrow. But seriously, there was so much hair in my face that people would only see that, and they wouldn't be able to look past at who I was because of what I looked like. Don't even get me started on my arms and legs because that was quite the jungle. Thank you, laser. I always wonder why my parents never got rid of it. I mean, I did not get rid of my unibrow until I was 13 years old, and that is like post middle school. There was a girl who once said to me, "Oh, you'd be pretty if you didn't have a forest on your face." Or there、wow. was a guy who called me a midget monkey. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I know it was terrible. I was bullied very severely because of my hairy face. And man, middle schoolers are the worst.、Mm-hmm. But you know what? Now thick eyebrows are in. Yep. So <laughs> I know it's funny how fashion always comes around to things that we used to find embarrassing when we were younger. I remember when I used to visit India every summer. I used to spend so much time outside because I just enjoyed playing outside. You know, especially in the summer, I would end up getting pretty dark. You know, I used to go over to visit my family's homes, and they would give me comments like, "Oh, you look so black," and I should try to stay inside as much as I could. Why did I spend so much time outside? I would always feel so bad about myself when I got these comments. It's as if I was uglier because I was tanned. And so I told my dad that I wanted to get lots of fair and lovely cream to look light skinned. Oh no! <laughs> Since everyone thought that I was ugly because I was darker, and my dad, it was so interesting what he told me. He said, "Don't ever think that way." He said, "If you take light skinned actresses that we see in Bollywood and you make." 
make them a few shades darker, South Asians will think that they're not pretty enough. And if you take a dark-skinned girl, no matter how she looks, and make her a few shades lighter, South Asians will think she's beautiful. And he said, this is just a twisted way of thinking. No one's taken into account everything else about yourself that makes you beautiful. It can be your facial features, your height, your body form, your voice, anything. Your personality. Your personality, your charm, so many things that can make you beautiful. And he said that I should never feel bad about my color. And that's what I grew up reminding myself about. And I still spend lots of time outside and I get really tanned and I'm really proud of it. Lo and behold, in America, what do we love? Indoor tanning salons. <laughs> Hashtag my skin is not a trend. <laughs> <laughs> So that kind of brings us to the most common beauty standard in South Asia, which is color. Right. Being light means that you are more beautiful. And we can call this skin color bias or colorism. Colorism is a term that was coined by author Alice Walker and is defined as discrimination against individuals with a darker skin tone amongst people from the same racial or ethnic group. And what we've done in South Asian communities is we've actually taken that colorism and internalized it as a society. Right, and that's the problem, I think, is that it's so ingrained in our minds that even people who think they're woke about things are still seeing it as white equals beautiful or fair equals beautiful, dark equals eh, not so beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, people will always say, oh, she was so beautiful, fair skinned, light eyes. Aunties will be like, oh, godi chikti piyari si, right? Mm -hmm. Or they'll be like, oh, she was really dark. Exactly. But this, this form of this colorism, it exists so severely and it's really closely tied to the history of the subcontinent, mm -hmm. which dates back from the invasions of the Persians all the way to British colonial times. Mm -hmm. So South Asia was made up of really small kingdoms when the Persians invaded. Now, most of us know that the Persians were lighter skinned than the native population of India and that whole region. And so since the Persians ruled the country, if someone was lighter skinned, they were considered as someone with higher social status and anyone who was darker was lower on the totem pole. This was also the same dynamic of colonialism and then it gradually became etched into our South Asian mentality. So again, comments like, she's so beautiful and fair, he's so unattractive and dark. These are rooted in privilege, colonialism, and westernization. So colorism, along with other beauty standards like weight, height, figure, are even further promoted by Bollywood, yeah. right? And so what we see on the big screen, in television shows, in advertising, even in all these songs that we all enjoy and we listen to, where they teach us that whiteness equals beautiful. <laughs> Right? So all of these I songs... Do love, I do love me some Shah Rukh, I know, and I do love me some Kajol. But <laughs> Unibrow! Unibrow! <laughs> so much of what's promoted in mainstream South Asian culture is about whiteness equaling being beautiful. Right. And we are seeing it slowly change with a lot of movements. I mean, there's even a Bollywood song I can think of, old school, that, you know, says, <laughs> I'm dark, but so what? So one of those movements that we're talking about, it's the hashtag unfair and lovely movement. And so it was Pax Jones, a young black photographer from Texas. And she was just fed up. And so she launched this 
anti-colorism social media campaign called Unfair and Lovely, which is obviously a play on the whitening cream that you mentioned, which we'll talk about in a bit, Fair and Lovely. And the campaign celebrated dark-skinned women, encouraging them to love themselves while promoting this melanin-positive movement. So it features two South Indian sisters who looked not only beautiful with their dark skin, but also really badass. And the movement essentially called on darker-skinned individuals from both genders to post images of themselves on social media using the hashtag unfair and lovely. Mm -hmm. And so this hashtag actually got over 30,000 posts and promoted the message of acceptance for whatever shade of brown you are. Mm -hmm. That's such a beautiful campaign and I hope that we see more of them. Actually, there is another campaign that was started in India. It's called Dark and Beautiful, Stay Unfair, Stay Beautiful. And so this Dark and Beautiful campaign was launched by this nonprofit organization called Women of Worth. It's trying to raise awareness of the unjust effects that skin color bias has on women in the South Asian community. And it also just wants to celebrate beauty and diversity of all skin tones. And so what ended up happening is the movement gained so much momentum and they started realizing that men actually were relating to this movement too, and they had their own insecurities. And so this is also just another example of celebrating beauty in all shapes and forms does not mean that fairness equals beauty. Right. And it's an interesting point that you brought up is that men are also insecure with a lot of of things that are traditionally, you know, beautiful for mm -hmm. a man. And we forget that because men are expected to be manly and portray this attitude of nothing bothers me. And that goes to part of the societal expectations of how a man is to behave, to, to appear manly. Exactly. Again, I think that's an, a male beauty standard expectation. If it's about work or sports or politics or women, we have no problem sharing our opinions. But if it's about our insecurities or our struggles, our fear of failure, then it's almost like we become paralyzed. And I can tell you right now that it is exhausting trying to be man enough for everyone all the time. One of the main parts of this campaign was also speaking to the fact that the brand ambassadors for the brands that we use and the brands that we see should be people who are different. It doesn't always have to be the ideal man or the ideal woman representing the toothpaste, holding the Coke, using the creams, using the soap. It could be anybody. And so one of the main movements of this campaign was let's make the brand ambassadors look like us, right? And so once people see on the public screen people who they can relate to, that's when beauty standards slowly start to change and that's when the perception of what's ideal slowly starts to change. We just want to take a quick moment to say thank you to Zane Lothia of Aftersound for our awesome tunes and of course Fatima Big for our cover art. You guys should check them out on Instagram. They were amazing. They were amazing to work with and we love the end product. Now back to the discussion. Let's chat with Masarat Mizba. Masarath Mizba is a beautician and philanthropist who started a nonprofit called Deplex Smile Again Foundation in Pakistan. The idea of the foundation is beauty with a cause. So it works towards helping acid burn victims with not only their medical expenses, but also becoming self-sufficient members of society to make them feel valued and beautiful from within. 
let's just jump right into it. You're a makeup artist, you're a philanthropist, you have your own beauty products line. There was an article that I was reading that actually called you the messiah for acid burn victims. Can you tell me a little bit about how that started? Because you have the Deplex Smile Again Foundation that is basically there for acid victim survivors. In 2003, there was a girl who walked into my office when I was about to leave and she was all clad up and she was wearing a burqa and she said, I need your help. And she, she removed her veil and I was standing and I sat down because in front of me was a young girl who was without a face. She just lost her eyes, wow. there was no nose. One of her ear was gone, her neck and chin was contracted and I just sat down because I just, I couldn't believe it that somebody who's a, a girl uh, was standing in front of me and I said to her, Aapko kya hua? You know what has happened to you? And she says, somebody has thrown acid on me and you call yourself a big makeup artist and beautician, do my makeup. It took me a while to absorb it and I said, mm-hmm. Chalo, come tomorrow and I'll take you to the hospital and you know, we'll start working on your medical treatment. And she says, I don't have a place to go. And you know, I, I felt so chota, you know, I, I felt so sad. Mm-hmm. that this kind of things have been happening in our country for maybe a very very long time uh, why did i not notice this earlier i mean why wouldn't i care for women around me i mean why would i just be talking about beauty and makeup and glamour i made her stay in my salon i took her to the hospital and this was total you know change in my life because when i went back home i cried my heart out and this is how i started and now we have got more than 750 girls actually women of all ages and size and young children also have been thrown acid have been burnt by kerosene oil they're now men also young boys also who've been thrown acid so so i formed my organization after uh, in 2005 after and i said why don't i help other girls also so i placed an ad in the newspaper saying that if you're an acid or a kerosene oil burn victim you come to replace on such and such day and to my surprise i mean it was not a surprise i was shocked again because 42 girls walked in wow. and they they had come from all over pakistan whoever has read the newspaper or seen the the little ad that i placed and this is how i started and then i realized that it is a mammoth job it is something which is you know one individual cannot do but it was a start it was a beginning and now all my deplex salons wherever they are in smaller towns or villages or bigger cities they have become sub offices for smile again foundation which means that if a girl is for instance god forbid get burned or thrown acid so i would just pick up my phone and tell my franchise owner to please visit her and ask her if she needs our help and all and this is when we start helping them medically free help then during the treatments uh, because on an average they need 35 to 40 surgeries to look better wow. and it's only when when the skin uh, contractures are removed and they're able to make uh, move their neck or maybe limbs or eyes have opened up and they can see we we start training them in any skill that they want they all want to become beautician i make them all beautician because maybe you know if they've lost their beauty they're still beautiful from inside to me beauty is not how you look beauty is how you feel you know i mean everything around you is beautiful of course even in the ponds you know which are actually filthy you could still see water lilies cropping up so to me it's making them feel beautiful they are actually they're my star employees it's a beautiful start of a day for me when i'm sitting there and i see these girls walking into deplex and applying lip colors or you know correcting their eyebrows they feel that somebody's looking at them they mm-hmm. they like little smile and they look at me thumbs up and i said you're looking beautiful salma go ahead and just <laughs> apply as much as you want and you know from my receptionist 
to the teachers to the four nurses you know who have completed their training and they are actually in the burns ward of different hospitals we help them in getting the education becoming contributive members of the society once again it's an amazing amazing feeling and i'm sure that you probably also noticed a difference in you know the confidence levels of these women who are acid burn victims but after they've had their medical care and you've helped them become more self-reliant that they start to feel beautiful from within oh i mean i'm it's amazing you should see my receptionist she's such a petite girl who's been burnt i mean she's a front desk manager and when she talks she talks sense she's so confident she was the girl who would cover her whole face and maybe sit in one corner now she tries to speak in english and i say please aap aap urdu mein bole and she says yes ma'am i will try oh. <laughs> okay good great Have you seen people being treated differently because they don't comply with these standards of beauty? Of course, all the time we need to change the mindset of our people. There are times when parents come to me and one of the you know the elder daughter is maybe a dark complexion and the younger one is a bit gora, you know, and she has got a fair skin. So they say ji we get rishta for our younger daughter but no rishtas and no proposal for our elder daughter can you make her look all white this is a known going situation i mean things are now changing a little bit people are becoming more aware of good bad but still i would say it's a taboo uh, that mm-hmm. you've got a you know a dark complexion so a little girl is born with a birthmark on the face i mean it's her whole life is ruined in the past when i used to go to pakistan and i would go to a salon to get my makeup done they would also put a foundation color on me that was one shade lighter than my actual skin and mm-hmm. i don't know if that's just mm-hmm. the way that that they were taught or that's what they think that everybody wants but i had to tell them i said no no take this off and and do it so it's my color i don't want to look like i'm lighter than no, i am no it's, it's not the beauticians are not taught to apply paler foundation it's just that it is the demand of the client i mean can you imagine a, a dark complexion girl was getting married her rest of her body which is all flared up in in bari joda a wedding dress only her face and her hands are pale and the rest of the body i mean what would the doula say you know once she... <laughs> can you imagine if people want to find more of your work where can they find it they can visit depilex smile again foundation our website and by the way we are registered in USA also mm-hmm. as a, a non-profitable charity organization if you're visiting Pakistan come in and sit with these girls talk to them you know i mean anything your time your beautiful words which will make them feel good make them smile again that's what our motto is So let's now chat with Omkar Dinsa, an Indian American model, fitness trainer, and life coach who was also a math teacher in his former life. Omkar believes in always pushing the envelope, but being a natural teacher that he is, he's also stepping into the light as a public figure to inspire others to do the same. Omkar also recently released his first book, Growing Pains, about his journey and life lessons. Can you tell us and tell our listeners a bit about your path, how you found yourself in the modeling and the fitness industry? Sure. I'm from California originally and I was meant to go to law school as in that was what I had set up to do like all of college. I got in and I decided to pursue teaching instead. Through teaching I realized that I really enjoy empowering younger people. So I wanted to kind of take that platform outside of the classroom and really expand on it. So I was like, you know, I need to put I want to put myself on the biggest platform that I can and using social 
social media, but not just put myself out there for the sake of putting myself out there, but to put myself out there with with meaning and like purpose. So yeah, now I use modeling. I am an actor as well. I was recently in a play here in New York, and I wrote a book. So I was working out at a gym. It was like a private bodybuilding gym in、uh, Norwalk, in California, the town I'm from. And so I just had a lot of positive influence around me, and I saw like a great talent that helped me transform my body. And I think that gave me the confidence to begin modeling. I've always seen, you know, like images of guys and what the, what, you know, what we talk about, like these beauty standards are. And I didn't care like that. I had to, you know, subjugate myself to those standards. I was like, you know what? I can do that. It's not something that I can't. And if that's what it takes for me to put myself on that platform, then I'll do it. I came out to New York for a PhD interview in psychology. Coincidentally, around the same time, it was New York Fashion Week. I had an agent at the time I was in contact with. He put me in a couple of shows, and at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm moving to New York. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna like finish my last year of teaching. It'll be it, and I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna really do this. So here we are. You mentioned that you know you were working out at the gym, and you know there was always these beauty standards for men. Could you tell us a little bit about what you thought those were at that time? I would say that lean physique, you know, having abs. You know, I think I, I put myself through hell and back to get the body that I have, and you know, obviously through the process, I fell in love with myself even more. It, it built my relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit about breaking into the modeling industry and the fashion industry in general? Like, what has that experience been like as a South Asian man, especially one who's Sardar? To be honest with you, I'm surprised that I'm still like, doing it. It's crazy. It's like you go through a lot. I think I started off with a lot of objectification. You know, I have no problem with guys or girls' sexual preferences or anything like that. But I definitely noticed there was a lot of gay men in the modeling industry and a lot of gay. Men that were not shy about expressing their lustful desires to you and just like making advances <laughs> towards you. So whether it was older men, photographers that I was shooting with, I'm like, wow, you know, this is this is what women go through. This is terrible, and、uh, it's definitely、mm -hmm. helped me develop a lot of empathy. You know, so it's crazy. And I remember I shot with this、uh, photographer in San Diego. I show up. I was wearing my bug, my turban, and first he sits me down and he's like, look, you are entering this world, and you know, people are pretty stupid. You know, they see a man with a turban, and then all you're gonna do is book Indian gigs. That's all that's gonna happen. So rather than being this beautiful man with a turban and then just book Looking like things once a week, you know, you should be just a beautiful man. That didn't really sit in, sit well with me. But I was, I was so new and naive to things. I was like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. Like, I'll, I'll do it. Let's, let's just shoot without it. I think I've, I've had to like really question how much I'm willing to bend towards beauty standards because of that. When I first moved here, I was working with this mother agent, and this is when I still had my long hair, and I would keep it in a juda like on my head, a bun. So he's like, you know, that looks too Indian. Like, you know, you can't wear, you shouldn't wear your hair like that because when people look at Indians, they don't think of like a model. Or someone that's sexy, they think of a doctor or a cab driver, or this and that. And I was like, wow. So I feel like it's been pretty shitty, to be honest with you. It really makes you question yourself and what you're doing. Then even when I began to think about cutting my hair, which has been thoughts of like mine from childhood, I definitely like you know began to really question. I was like, wow, like. I'm having to really change myself. I'm like almost having to. I have to sell myself as somebody that's not even Indian to do this. I feel like the only reason I'm even I am where I even am is because I don't even look that Indian. You know, and that's pretty sad.、Mm -hmm. I don't model with my bug on. I don't really do that. If like specifically I'm asked to do something like that, then of course like I want to, and that's the goal. Even in the play that I was in, I took on a principal role where the character was this closeted Christian man who was pursuing a an extramarital affair with the main character. But obviously that didn't make sense. 
with the character, so we like gave it a new spin on it, and he was now a sick man with a turban. So you know, when it makes sense, it makes sense. But for the most part, like nobody's writing roles for South Asian men. Nobody's even with modeling. The rest of the world, or the other parts of our country, may be like pretty far along. But modeling and and entertainment is so far backwards. Like it's still a treat that there's black people that are modeling. You know, and usually they're like either they look African, so it's like that exotic side, like Naomi, or it's like really light skins. Even within black folk, like you know, you're not really getting true diversity. I feel like the more I've gotten into it, the more I'm like, this is a lot worse than I, th- than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. You know, you had mentioned that wearing a turban makes you look too Indian, but are you seeing any other redefining of the stereotypes or the status quo? It depends on what you're talking about, right? Like, if we're talking mm-hmm. about like an influencer that's got over 100k followers and they're wearing a turban, that's great. I feel like that's the power of social media, right? Like, but when we're talking about mainstream modeling, when we're talking about who's working with Calvin Klein, Balenciaga, these like high-end brands in Europe, in New York, I don't really think there are very many advancements. If anything, it's a trend and it's for the sake of being different. Um, I don't know if you remember Gucci last Fashion Week for the Fall Winter Collection in Milan. I believe they did a show and they、mm-hmm. had their male models wear turbans,、yeah. and I doubt there was any like significance to it being a, a sick turban as to why they had it on. No, it was just a, it was just an accessory. You take that for what it is. Like I feel like me or maybe other people in our community would have like looked at that as like wow, like it doesn't matter, you know, what the intentions were. Like it's just nice to see a turban out there in Milan on Fashion Week. It's like you have to really question that. Is that really what it was? And can you tell our listeners how they can find you and follow your journey? You can follow me. On my website, omkardinsa.com. My Instagram, osdinsa, and you know the link to my book is in there. So that was really interesting to hear from two very different people who've grown up in two very different environments, but the common element is being South Asian and very common themes that we heard from them. So some of these standards that we're going to talk about today, we've got skin color, which we touched upon. Weight is a huge one in our community, especially with the aunties. Body hair, which we also talked a little bit about. Height, which I think is more for men, but women also feel very insecure with height. So BuzzFeed actually did some research, gathering information from professional publications, entertainment magazines, and social media to answer how pop culture and media has shaped our views on the ideal male beauty, which I thought was fascinating because we never really looked at male beauty. We always talk about beauty. In terms of a woman,、mm-hmm. so they looked at men from several different countries. One of them was India, and the hottest male celebs were Siddharth Malhotra, Yami, Ranbir Kapoor, yes please, and Varun Dhawan. I don't know how I feel about him. <laughs> hey. Anyway, but they also found that skin lightening creams are growing in popularity in the male beauty market and even being endorsed by Bollywood stars and cricket players. And so, with skin color, these again follow the Eurocentric ideas of beauty. So, white skin is better than dark skin, even if it's believed really subconsciously.、Mm-hmm. So, I know people who say, "Oh, I'm not racist, or I'm not colorist, or I think everyone is beautiful," but then they'll make these comments like, "Oh, she was so beautiful and fair." Yeah.、I'm、like, but why? Why did you need to comment on her skin tone? I mean, I used to know a guy. Who every time I would get tanned in the summer, just because I wanted to be outside, he would say, "Oh, Navi, it's dark inside. I can't see you."
Oh, wait, smile. Oh, I can see you now. And that was, you know, if you just take a minute to think about that, it was such, you know, it's such a rude and disrespectful comment to make, but it was almost like it was internalized. And he thought of it as just an innocent joke. Right. And I think even in South Asia today, people with darker skin are considered usually to be the labor class. And that's sad to say. Right. And they are treated differently when they walk into a restaurant or they walk into a clothing store. There's still no reason to treat them differently, but it's just become a part of our society. Right, and unfortunately, it's not just a South Asian issue. So there was research from Arizona State University that showed that darker-skinned black women faced issues of lower self-worth and confidence as a result of colorism or shadism in comparison to lighter-skinned black women. And as a result, a lot of women and men have been resorting to these melanin-sucking skin-lightening creams basically bleaching your skin. Mm -hmm. So Fair and Lovely is kind of the big brand. Unilever is basically preying on our insecurities growing up as South Asians. So Fair and Lovely, which is owned by Unilever, came into the beauty scene first in India in 1975, before growing into other South Asian regions. And then there's Fair and Handsome for men, which followed in 2005. And it's so unfortunate. These products actually say that to women and to men, that you are most desirable if you have lighter skin color. And it's understandable that these products can instill confidence, but that confidence is a result of our society just discriminating against skin color. So I went to Africa last summer. Yeah, I got a tan. It was a sick tan. It was, (laughs) I'll tell you that. But when I came back, to the States, this auntie basically said to me, oh, you came from Africa looking African. Wow. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I told her, I was like, yeah, auntie, I'm so glad you noticed. I tried so hard to get a tan. (laughs) But actually, Maria Kummer, who we know colloquially as hate copy on Instagram, she actually suggested in her book, Trust No Auntie, that we start developing beauty products that reflect our real selves. (laughs) So, you know, broken lovely or short and lovely i like that one Mm -hmm. or depressed right now but i'm working on it and lovely (laughs) (laughs) which brings me to the next thing that aunties love to say i am not super skinny i am also not overweight i am your average healthy 29 30 year old woman but I have a tendency to gain weight here and there aunties will say things to me beta you're looking very healthy today or you don't have the body of a young girl anymore. Oh my God. Right. To which again, I responded, well, auntie, I'm almost 30. I'm not a young girl anymore. (laughs) Good one. But the thing is, these words like smart and healthy, they're code words. They're passive aggressive terms for saying you're thin or you're not thin. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had one auntie who straight up said to me, oh, you've gotten very fat since the last time I saw it. She actually used the word moti, which means fat, Mm -hmm. to my face. I mean, sometimes we don't even wear sleeveless clothes because my arms may jiggle when I'm dancing or someone's going to make a comment. But it's all so backwards because it's not even like there's a culture of working out or eating healthy in the South Asian communities, right? I mean, every time you go over to someone's house, you're just fed sweets, roti, samosa, pakore. I mean, I think it's really hard to find super, super healthy South Asian food sometimes. We are expected to be slim, but we're not living the lifestyle for us to be slim. And the crazy thing is, is that fat is such a terrible term that these aunties use. I'm like, whether you're large or not, it's so wrong to use that term to Mm -hmm. anybody because it's got this very negative and hurtful undertone to it that even if you'd say it to someone who's 100 pounds, 
songs, it's painful. Yeah. And I actually just thought of this and it's so interesting and I'm not sure if it's like this in other languages, but in Hindi, Punjabi, Urdu, like there actually is a term for a fat person. Moti and Mota. She is a Moti. Yeah. Like Moti and Mota are actually nouns to define somebody as a fat person versus in the English language, fat is the adjective that is added to the noun. What I'm trying to say is in South Asian culture, we actually have words for somebody who is larger and you can define and identify somebody who is larger by just using that one word. I, along with a lot of women, spend so much money on removing body hair. So whether that's shaving or waxing or lasering or threading, these body hair removal practices sometimes even dictate how we plan our weekends or the clothes that we're going to wear. It's like, oh, I can't wear a dress because my legs aren't shaved or I can't wear a sleeveless because my armpits are hairy or like I can't make it to brunch because I have this three-hour laser appointment, you know? <laughs> and it's oh, like... Yeah. We can't have any hair anywhere else, but also there's this need to have like two feet long hair on our scalps. And we're shamed for cutting our hair because it's not feminine enough and therefore we don't look pretty, we look like a man. Yeah, I mean that's actually what happened to me when I decided to cut my hair about three years ago. I was dating somebody at the time and he was like, don't cut your hair, don't cut your hair, you won't look pretty enough. And as soon as we broke up, I cut my hair and I loved it. So, I mean, it is just so backwards how we're expected to be hairless all on our bodies, but we're expected to have long, full hair on our heads because that defines us as more feminine. Yeah. But, you know, let's also think about it from the male perspective. So even with men, men are also very insecure about the hair that they have on their bodies. And we all know that many South Asian men have hairy backs, hairy shoulders, hairy chests, hairy arms, and we do see a lot of South Asian males trying to remove this either through waxing and sometimes, you know, guys will even shave their chests and FYI guys, please do not shave your chests. We do notice it. You don't need to. Your chests look great just with all the hair. It's fine. Actually, I find hairy men more attractive. Yes, me too. Right? Why is that? And for some reason, there's like this manliness to the fact that they're hairy and it kind of makes some women feel safer and more secure. Think about how prickly someone's chest would be if it's shaven and you're laying on it. Exactly. I mean, that's actually what I think about when I see it, which is why I'm saying, please don't do it. <laughs> but, you know, we also see men feeling insecure about balding. And balding is also something that is kind of discriminated against. I mean, when we look at dating apps, for example, women automatically swipe left on men that are bald for some reason. It's like we just don't find them as attractive. And it's really not true. I think that it's all something that, once again, we're internalizing does not mean that someone is not attractive. We do see men also spending a lot of time and money on hair growth procedures, just like women spend a lot of time and money on hair (laughs) removal procedures. (laughs) All the irony. (laughs) I actually went on this date with a guy whose eyebrows were better shaped than mine. Mm. And, you know, to each their own. I think if that's what makes you feel beautiful and that's what makes you feel handsome or whatever it is and you're comfortable with that, then you do you, boo-boo. But I definitely wrote him off for it, which I shouldn't have, but I was very insecure about it. I know. We all do this, but we have to be conscious about when we do this, right? I mean, that's the first part of changing is just recognizing that I have done this. I've dismissed somebody because of this superficial aspect. You know, another thing we're talking about insecurities with men is height, right? Definitely. So, so many men are insecure about 
the fact that they're not six feet. And it's okay that you're not six feet tall. But, you know, in our society, especially in South Asian society, we do automatically consider men who are on the taller side as more handsome. And once again, going back to these dating apps, we do see a lot of men, you know, they add a few inches to their height just because they once again think that women will automatically dismiss them because they're not over 5'9". The thing is, men, if you're listening and you are shorter than six foot, trust me, it will not matter to most women who are looking at who you are, but mm-hmm. it will matter if you say you're 5'11 and you show up and you're 5'9. Yes. You will be judged more for that than you will be for being short. So just just a little PSA, wanted to put that out there. Exactly. But height is not just a man thing. Like I'm 5'0 and I know for me it was always, oh, I wish I was a little bit taller because you know, I would be able to wear these pants better, or this like high-waisted this XYZ better. And even some of my favorite stores, they don't have clothes for shorties like me. I have to shop in the kids section or the petite section. (laughs) But then again, there are taller women too who get dismissed for being too tall. So there's there's never a win, right? It's just at some point we have to decide for ourselves it's okay that I'm 5'0", mm-hmm. or it's okay that she's 5'11". Like, we are beautiful in whatever we have been blessed with. Exactly. So all of these things are such a huge part of, you know, how we define ideal beauty standards and how we define ourselves as people. And so today what we're seeing is this homogenization of beauty standards. We're also seeing movements against this and more inclusive beauty standards. But what we really need to see is more of this inclusivity in the media outlets, Bollywood movies, music videos, advertisements, and then the actors and models that we see, you know, need to be of all shapes and sizes. And that's the only way that we can truly move away from these sometimes warped standards. And the thing is, we have to ask ourselves, why do people prescribe to these beauty standards? Okay, so yes, they exist, but why do we prescribe to them? frankly, the main reason is that it's to be socially accepted. But when we can't adhere to these beauty standards, for whatever reason it is, people resort to, you know, downloading editing apps to filter their photos to look what they want to look like. I mean, I do it all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I got the kutta filter, you know? <laughs> <laughs> jokes, jokes. But I mean, I, I, I do it too, you know? And that's what the great thing about Instagram is. You can plug in all these filters and you look like what you would want to look like. But then people who aren't using cameras and filters are then going to the doctors to edit their faces. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, at the end of the day, we have to remind ourselves that you are in control of what you look like and what you think is beautiful. I've been in a relationship with someone who doesn't prescribe to any of these beauty standards, but I thought that he was incredibly good looking. And that was because of who he was and that was the personality. And I think it's important to remind ourselves that beauty is in the eye of the beholder and beautiful is from within Mm -hmm. and not on the outside. This podcast is only as good as the people who listen, support, and share their stories with us. We are so humbled to have received stories about your experiences, stories that are close to your heart, stories that are often guarded. We wanted to take some time to share them. This story is from a 27-year-old from London. Healthy, 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 healthy. The word healthy. To be honest, I'm not a small person. I'm pretty big, so I get that comment a lot of the time. At one point... This person basically said to my mom, um, the reason why she's not married is she has a large chest and that's why she's fat and that's why no one has married her. As far as I'm concerned, men like boobs. So if I've got a big chest, then boy, I should have been married a very long time ago then, don't you think? If that's, that's if it's really that easy or that basic. Like, auntie, you don't be such a hater. 
you can be too skinny and they'll have something to say and you can be big and they have something to say. This story comes from an 18-year-old woman from San Diego. In elementary school, I never really fit in to begin with. I was really weird. I liked superheroes and read Harry Potter at a young age, so I was a pretty big nerd. I never noticed people reacting badly towards me because of my skin until first grade. I wanted to play handball with some of the girls in my class and asked to join. They told me, sorry, you're too dirty. I was really confused by what they meant, so I went to the bathroom and I washed my hands and I even washed up my arms a little. After that, I walked back again and asked to play. They just laughed and said, you're never going to get it. I ran up to them again and told them that I had washed my hands and even my arms and that I was clean and had no germs on me. The head girl then proceeded to yell, stay away from us, and a teacher walked over to defuse the situation, which according to the girls, I had been stalking and bothering them the entire recess. I ended up being punished and couldn't be outside for recess the rest of the week. I told my parents what happened at school and they were really disappointed, but they told me that this was something that we, people of color, experience all the time and that while it wasn't nice, I just had to get used to it. This story is from a 30-year-old woman from Atlanta. Slim, fair skin, good hair, three top qualities for my mom, her sisters, and lots of aunties I grew up with in the South Asian community. I had one out of the three. The odds were not in my favor. My mom would scold me for playing soccer. She would tell my dad to stop signing me up because I was getting so dark. My dad refused and I'm so glad that he did because I loved soccer and ended up playing competitively. This in part helped me block out comments about my color. I was not so good about the body comments though. You would think that playing soccer would help the slim part, but unfortunately my body was just not slender. In high school, I was by no means big at all. I was 5'4 and weighed roughly 125 pounds. But, for my mom and plenty of aunties, I was always healthy. If I had a penny for every time growing up that I got called healthy, I would have enough money to buy liposuction. This constant commentary paired with my fluctuating weight made for a, a very unhealthy way of looking at my body. I developed a really unhealthy relationship with food. I had to learn to ignore our South Asian community standards and create my own. I will never be a size zero. But as our generation is celebrating women of all colors and curves, and the standard of beauty is changing, so are my own thoughts and feelings. Masala Meter, where we score something everyone is talking about on how hot it is. We go from k k, -k cumin pretty bland, not much going on, to trouble tamarind, a little sweet and spicy, to garam masala, where it's getting hotter, ladies and gentlemen, and all the way to salmich, where it's just too hot to handle. So Navi, what's the scoop? So a couple of months ago, this popular Pakistani morning show called Jago Pakistan Jago invited a beautician who claimed she could transform even dark girls to beautiful. So what they literally did was take fair-skinned girls, put makeup on them to make them various shades of dark, and I'm being nice here because they literally were just coloring them black, and then the beautician worked her so-called magic with her makeup routine to make them beautiful. This episode called Mera Makeup Hikamal, which translates to My Makeup is Incredible, sounds like utter nonsense. But, Novera, where do we put this on the masala meter? Oh my good god. What on earth was that? There was so much backlash on that, which good, rightfully so. It was basically the Desi version of blackface. Sheer, utter racism, colorism, I mean, you name it. Also, FYI, they painted their faces dark, 
but then left their arms white as white can be and put sleeveless outfits on them. If you really wanted dark models, just get darker skinned girls. There are so many beautiful dark skinned girls, but that is way besides the point because they're just honing in on the whole, oh, you need to be light skinned to be beautiful concept that makes all of us feel so incredibly insecure. Okay, I'm a little confused with this one because I really don't even want to rate it. I don't think it deserves a rating, but I'm gonna go with Trouble Tamarind. Because we're all pretty women, damn it. And who gives anyone the right to think otherwise? Let's support those who may not fit the traditional standards of beauty. When aunties comment on a young girl's skin color, let's not encourage the conversation. When our friend wants to date someone who is bald, let's not comment on the matter. If your sister gained a little weight, don't shame her for it. It's important to stop labeling people based on their physical attributes. If each of us individually changes our perception of beauty standards, we can slowly impact how our communities view beauty. And we need to unlearn things like, you know, lighter skin is more worthy of love and attention than darker skin. We need to accept that not all our facial features will be perfectly symmetrical. And we need to stop body shaming because beauty truly is in the eye of the beholder. And these standards that are imposed on us, they're really unrealistic and frankly, unimportant. And if it helps, start with yourself. Practice saying to yourself, I accept with the feature of yours that you are insecure about. So I'm Novera and I accept my thick, lush eyebrows. And I'm Navi and I accept my dark complexion and big nose. Oh, me too with the big nose. <laughs> <laughs> and both of us accept all of you. You're listening to Nonstop Chit Chai. This is Navi and Novera signing out. Let's chat next time. <laughs>